if there's injustice where you are you can do something about it especially if you are if you have a platform if you are in a more privileged position change is possible and with god's help we can do that you know maybe as one person you feel it's difficult but we've got god on our side and i and i truly believe that you know i truly believe that even in this covid situation yes lots of things were done medication everything but i think it's prayers of of god's people that turned the situation around as well so we can call on god because you know he's ready there to listen to our voice and to and to bring uh, those changes and and hear our prayers Welcome to the Renew Our World podcast. Renew Our World is a global movement of Christians who believe that since we are truly image bearers of God, we should act like it, living out love for one another in actions and in truth. Since we are image bearers of God, we won't stand by while our neighbors are trapped in poverty and we won't stay idle as creation is left untended and inequality is left to fester. In this podcast, we're going to go on a journey together of discovering a theology of creation care. We'll be discussing the latest in climate news, chatting with industry leaders, theologians and practitioners and hearing from some of our incredible partners who are working on the ground. Join us this season as we learn about creation care and what we can do in our own lives to play part in a much bigger restorative story. Hi guys and welcome to the third episode of the of series two of the Renewal World podcast and we apologise for a very long delay in getting you um, episode three from, from episode two. Um, I don't know. What can I say? We were busy. Um, so sadly, <laughs> you've had to wait. Uh, but uh, today, myself and Elise are really excited to have with us uh, Kuki uh, Rockham, who works for Efficor in India. But anyway, I won't say too much about Kuki. I'll let her introduce herself in, in a bit. Um, but yeah, welcome Kuki and Elise. It's, it's great to see and chat to you again after a bit of a hiatus. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be back on the podcast. Um, missed your, your, your bloody great accent. <laughs> and it's, um, it's really great to be joined by you two today, Cookie. Um, loved hearing you at the Justice Conference this year and um, working at Tear Fund. It's always great to um, be hearing what you have to say um, and hearing a lot about the work that you have to do. So I'm really excited um, about having you here today. Yeah, thank you for having me, David and Elise. It's uh, good to be able to talk with you and uh, and chat with you. Thank you. Yeah, we're looking we're looking forward to it. Um, but uh, yeah, actually, let's 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 kick into it. Um, Cookie, can you can you tell us a bit about yourself? Um, who are you and and what do you do? And um, yeah, give us give us a rundown on 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 Cookie Rockham. Okay, I, I won't tell you my whole life story, but uh, here goes my name, as you already said, is Kuki Rokum, and I am actually from Northeast India, from a small state called Mizoram, and I live in Delhi, and I've been living in Delhi for many years now, and I work with an organization called the Evangelical Fellowship of India, Commission on, on Relief, and for a few years now, I have been heading the training and mobilization department. So I work with a great team of people. We go around training others, uh, churches, uh, individuals, organizations about various issues that God is concerned about. So, yeah, I'm living in Delhi and enjoying myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've, we've been hearing, you know, for quite some time that the COVID situation in India is quite serious. And we did hear a bit of an update at the Justice Conference, um, especially from CB Samuel about, I guess, the reality of how things are over there at the moment. Can you just give us a little bit of an update as to how things are tracking along at the moment? Yeah, as 
you know, as you would have heard, uh, in February and March of this year, uh, things were, uh, you know, had gone back to a little bit of normal or whatever you call normal. And we were traveling, we were going out, having uh, bigger meetings, not very, very big meetings. And then suddenly, out of the blue in April, there was a new COVID variant that uh, hit um, India, uh, particularly uh, Delhi and surrounding areas and uh, Maharashtra, you know, Mumbai and, and those uh, um, uh, cities and, and other cities in that state of Maharashtra. And as, as you may have heard in April and May, it was awful. We had lots and lots of our own FECOR staff being affected. We lost one staff as well. And many of our friends and close family being affected. And this is a new variant. And so it's very different from the previous one, highly infectious and lethal as well. So we had lots and lots of people um, getting infected and dying. But uh, you know, then there, there was localized lockdowns called in different parts of the country. Uh, we didn't have a national lockdown because, as you know, that affects so many people, so many workers and, and so many daily wage laborers. So there wasn't a national lockdown, but localized lockdowns were called uh, kind of to, to try and stop the human chain so that the so that the infection wouldn't uh, spread uh, as much as it did. And thankfully, because of that lockdown and because of the prayers of so many people within India who prayed daily and, um, and across the world who prayed and you know, the efforts of the community, of the people, uh, things became better at the end of May uh, when the number of new infections began to reduce. And uh, uh, although the death rate, you know, has remained steady because there were some very seriously ill, but the number of new infections has reduced. For example, in Delhi, let me say, in April, we had more than 20,000 new cases per day. And that also could have been wrong because there were so many people who were waiting to get to, to get their tests done. So many people who just gave up because the queue was too long. But nowadays, uh, the number of new cases in Delhi is under 200, just in Delhi. So thankfully yeah, wow. in Delhi, we are a bit more relaxed. But unfortunately, that is not true in, in certain parts of India. For example, in Northeast India, uh, the number of cases are still steadily rising uh, because lots of people went home from Delhi and the big cities, you know, and, and took this new variant back home. So it's not good news all over. Over the country yet. Uh, there are some pockets in which this, um, uh, this new variant is spreading, is making its presence felt in the number of people who are ill and in the, num in the number of people who are dying. But where I live right now in Delhi, you know, the unlocking has started uh, and uh, people are able to go out a little bit more than before. So, and we're not hearing of deaths every day. So that's a huge relief uh, for someone like me who is living in Delhi. Yeah. yeah. Would you be able to talk a little bit about, I guess, how you saw lockdown across the world impact pollution, um, particularly in India? Like, have the clear sky, have the skies cleared a little bit? Um, are you still seeing clear skies, or are things mm -hmm. starting to go back to how they were? Well, if I, uh, you know, if I go back to the previous lockdown last year in March, when, you know, COVID was new and you're we all scared and it was, you know, this new thing that none of us were aware of uh, that hit us. We were, you know, there was, a, there was a cloud of fear, I think, that enveloped all of us. And the first reaction was a national lockdown. Now, when that national lockdown was called, of course, it had a it had terrible effect, especially on migrant workers. But in terms of, of the environment, you know, the skies in Delhi cleared like crazy. I mean, it was visible. You could smell it. You could see it. So that's, that's the difference it made in just a few days of lockdown where there was no, there was hardly any vehicle on the streets. 
uh, on the roads there was you know no air travel uh, very limited air travel and uh, you know all trains had stopped as well so there was visible reduction in air pollution and you know in delhi because our pollution levels are so high we check daily you know what is what is the pollution level today how is it and things like that it just you know it, it became normal for a little while but of course when the unlocking started then it crept back it crept back slowly but even in this recent lockdown where um the number of vehicles out on the roads have reduced and flights obviously haven't gone back to what they were uh, previously before uh, before covid like oh, more than a year back uh, definitely pollution has reduced uh, to a great extent but the thing is if it is not sustained if if it goes back to the way it was before then it just all comes back as well so we are seeing pollution coming back um although those momentary you know bright moments and clear clear periods are there yeah super thanks for that cookie yeah i think people in the uk are are starting to um i think people are starting to under, understand maybe how difficult the situation was in india because we've we've obviously had the the rise of the what's now called the delta the delta variant in the mm. uk and that you know now accounts for um you know over 90% of of cases in the uk and people are seeing just how much more infectious it is and they're seeing that how it's causing um more hospitalizations compared to the previous um variants and strains so yeah i think people in the uk are starting to fully realize that how how terrible the situation must have been in india given that it's it was more it's more deadly and it's more infectious and mm. how how difficult that must have been so yeah we're glad to hear that um the situation in in some parts of the country at least is a bit more under control and um yeah we'll keep keep praying for that situation and um yeah particularly i think keep praying that maybe world leaders you know step up to the plate as well i think the g7 you know meeting over the last couple of days was a bit disappointing on vaccines you know we could have had a lot more um mm-hmm. could have had a lot more ambition there and it was it felt very much sort of like the rich countries were just given the crumbs from their table again um which just isn't what we need in order to to you know vaccinate the whole world and and to bring the pandemic under control so yeah, yeah. anyway we'll we'll keep praying and we'll keep taking action on that as well and um start trying to see a bit more equity in in how this plays out as well um but just moving moving direction slightly um towards the the justice conference where you spoke recently and i just wondered what was your what was your main takeaway from the justice conference like what was sort of the one thing that sort of sticks out to you from from having participated in the conference now Yeah. Um you know I was at uh, uh my first experience of the justice conference was in Melbourne when I when I spoke there a few years back and that was exciting you know there were people there there was energy uh you know uh, meeting and connecting with one another physically and talking about our passions you had you know all these uh, other sessions that that were happening so of course that that energy i think you know i missed that uh, the energy of meeting with other people so passionate about it and worshiping live with other people but i think uh, you know having a, a, the global conference with so many other nations together was exciting and it gave me you know that excitement that it is possible uh, that there are so many people still passionate about the issues of justice who are willing to be part of this global gathering and we're there we're chatting we're engaging in whatever possible ways although very limited but we are engaging and i think that was really exciting and uh, my biggest takeaway was i'm so glad that there is still such a big group of people who are interested about talking about justice 
who are who know that our God is a God of justice and that they are, you know, uh, working towards that and interested to learn more and converse with others and listen to one another. So I think that was the biggest thing. You know, I missed I missed the human energy, but I think whatever was possible was done. And um, it was great to be able to, you know, see all those people and hear those amazing talks. And the good thing is that, you know, I think if, if any country tried to bring all those speakers to one place, it would have been impossible too expensive and too expensive, not for in terms of money, but in terms of uh, the environment as well. But here we were, you know, here we are listening to all these amazing speakers from across the world on one platform and listening to their wisdom. So that was that was amazing, I think. Yeah, we actually had 115 different contributors from 23 wow. different countries. Wow. So it would have been actual mayhem trying to get everyone to <laughs> one place. But you're right, that's the beauty of doing a digital conference, that the world is your oyster. Um, one of my highlights of the Justice Conference was actually your session, Cookie. Um, Thank you. And I, I really love that you spoke from the heart. And one thing that you said that's really stuck with me is that yet the time to act was yesterday, but we still have today. And I'm just wondering whether you would mind sharing with our listeners some ways that we can take action, not just on a personal level in our lifestyle, but maybe on a bigger corporate international scale. Are there organisations that we can be supporting? Are there different resources that you would recommend to us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that, that thought struck me as I was speaking, um, the fact that, you know, the time to act was yesterday, but we still have today, uh, came especially in my reflection during those COVID times, those intense COVID moments in Delhi. Um, uh, and, and I just want to reflect a little bit on that before I answer your question properly. The thing was that in Delhi, you know, uh, the infrastructure, the health infrastructure, the people, we weren't prepared for that onslaught. Uh, you know, as I said, in March, we, I was still traveling. I came back from my last travel in the last week of March. And by 2nd April, one of my colleagues was dead. And by, you know, by the 9th of April, there were uh, two or three people, you know, uh, in my, in my uh, work in Delhi uh, who were infected with, uh, with COVID. And so it was too quick. So none of us were able to prepare. And because we weren't able to prepare, or, or because we weren't prepared, uh, there was so much loss of life, you know, oxygen. There was lack of oxygen. People were gasping for oxygen. There, was, there were no hospital beds available. You know, all of those things were there. And because of that, the, the number of casualties were much higher, I think, because we were unprepared for what hit us. And then after, you know, things died down, the government then made lots of provisions for COVID care centers, for oxygen concentrators. We were able to purchase oxygen concentrators. But that was a tad late, a little bit late. If all these things had been done in before April, then, you know, when the new infections came, uh, we would have been able to face it. The number of casualties, the number of people who've lost their parents, who've lost their children would have reduced. And that made me think in terms of our, you know, creation care as well, in terms of climate change issues. You know, we always tend to um, respond in retrospect. Oh, we should have done that. Oh, we should have done that and this and that. And then we then go back and try and retrace our steps. And so this action of our government, which is a bit late, which was very good, but a bit late, made me think about our, our responses as well. Whoever we are, as, as an individual Christian, as an organization, as a government, whether local, national, international level, you know, we need to be aware of what is happening. The challenges are clear in front of us. And so we shouldn't act tomorrow or, you know, or, you know, or, or later. We should have done many of these things before when all these, all these environmental disasters were happening, these warning signs were 
staring at us in our face, we didn't do things. We should have done things yesterday, like we should have prepared for COVID yesterday, but we didn't. But there is still time. There is still today. And just because we didn't get our act together yesterday doesn't mean that we, we give up and say, well, it's gloom and doom and there's nothing we can do. There is still today. And that's what I want to emphasize on. You know, the, the world, uh, the WWF report of 2018 said that we are the first generation that has a clear picture of the value of nature and our impact on it. And we may be the last that can take action to reverse this trend. From So that was what was said in 2018. And so we are a generation who have at our hand statistics, who have at our hand all this information. Things should have been done yesterday, it wasn't done, but we can do it today. So I think what we can do right now as, mm -hmm. as individuals, you know, let's stop, let's stop. Uh, you know, I always say this and I will say it again, I said it in my talk in the Justice Conference, let's stop rationalizing it. Okay, let's stop trying to convince each other it is really happening. You know, we are wasting our time doing that. We know it is happening. Let's just do something about it. So as an individual, if we have to make choices, if we have to make choices, let's make those choices. Let's make those lifestyle, lifestyle choices that we need to make. Let's change the way we live. Let's live simply. Let's live in balance with the rest of creation. Let's not overwhelm the earth. You know, uh, like Tia from Australia was celebrating your jubilee last year and they said, well, we're not farmers. So what we do, what, what do we do? How do we take the jubilee lessons? Yeah, but I'm not, I'm definitely not a farmer. Many of us lives in flats or apartment blocks or have little, you know, in, uh, in places where we don't have gardens. But by our plastic pollution, by our overconsumption, we're also damaging the earth. So let's do a jubilee of that. You know, let's not mm. damage the earth like we did. So there are steps we can take. It doesn't have to be big monumental projects that we do. It could be the way we treat the earth by not polluting it, by taking better care of it. Um, and, uh, you know... <laughs> When I was younger, I used to not believe in this saying, which said, little drops make a mighty ocean. I'm sure you've heard of it as well. And I was like, nah, what little drops make a mighty ocean? You know, the, the ocean is so vast. How do little drops make a mighty ocean? But when I started living, uh, you know, alone and or, uh, you know, when the tap drips and we have limited water supply, I realized that if it drips the whole day, your tank will be empty. So little drops do make a mighty ocean. It does make a big difference. And so I think all our efforts make a difference. So whether it's in your home, whatever choices that you make, even that simple choice of not using a plastic bag, it'll be like, oh, you know, these Christians, they gather together, talk about the environment and then go home saying, don't use plastic bags, you know, and they scoff at it and we laugh about it. Ha, ha, ha. It's only about don't use plastic bags, plant a tree. But those make changes. Those, those are the things that make the difference because it's little drops that make a mighty ocean. And so I think at individual levels, we can make those choices. We can make those conscious decisions about how we consume, what we consume, how we throw the rubbish we generate as well. Those are really, really important. And if you live in a country where it is possible for you to speak to lawmakers, to policymakers, to parliamentarians, do it. Because many of us live in countries where our voices are not heard. You know, I'm not just talking about my, my own country, but there are many, many other countries where even if you are passionate about this, even if you want to knock on the doors of the parliament and these policymakers, it is not possible. But if you live in a place where you can influence policymakers, do it. You know, if writing petitions, signing petitions make a difference where you are, do it. If joining Renew Our World campaign and, you know, just putting your signature, just clicking on that one link makes a difference, do it. 
because those are the things that we think are little drops, but they do make the mighty ocean. So I would encourage all of us, wherever we are, you know, let's not give up and say, oh, well, it's all done and dusted, you know, animals are dying anyway. What can I do about it now? Of course, you can do something about it before more animals die or before more things go extinct. Let's do something. And, I, and I'm confident that we can. We can do something about it because we still have today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think you, you maybe have already answered my, my question for you then. You know, sort of if people could do just one thing to pursue um, justice and God's justice, you know, what would it be? But it, it, sounds, like it's, it sounds like the answer might be act today, but what, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Um, definitely I think it is at today Um, and I also think you know uh, know that it is possible change is possible because some of us are are living in such maybe we live in oppressive places conditions situations you know oh Delhi is so polluted there's nothing we can do about it I can live like that and think that change is impossible but no of course change is possible change is possible I can do something about it I can I can do so many things about it but I can be overwhelmed by, by facts. I can be overwhelmed by, uh, by the difficulty of the situation. And, and I can just lay back and say, well, nothing is possible. So I'm just going to lay back and do nothing. And I want to encourage everyone and say, no, it is possible. If pollution is a problem where you live, you can do something about it. If, if there's injustice where you are, you can do something about it, especially if you, are, if you have a platform, if you are in a more privileged position. Change is possible. And with God's help, we can do that. You know, maybe as one person, you feel it's difficult, but we've got God on our side. And I, and I truly believe that, you know, I truly believe that even in this COVID situation, yes, lots of things were done, medication, everything. But I think it's prayers of, of God's people that turned the situation around as well. So we can call on God because, you know, he's ready there to listen to our voice and, and, to, and to bring uh, those changes and, and hear our prayers. I also think another thing that we can do is get angry at the right at the right, right? wrong things you know get your anger should be directed <laughs> yeah. in the right direction you know you yeah. know what i'm trying to say yeah. yeah because we some of us live such entitled lives including myself that i get angry when my privileges are questioned when my privileges are challenged because we live we are so entitled and i think we all need to assess ourselves of how entitled we all are and i include myself because i am here speaking to you in english using internet over an amazing laptop that can capture everything i am in a certain position of entitlement and so we get angry at things that challenge our entitlement i think you know we need to really look at what makes god angry what would make mm-hmm. jesus angry why why was what were the outbursts that jesus have you know some of us like to think jesus never laughed he never got angry but of course, he, he got angry. And I'm sure he laughed at many funny things as well. And so we need, to, we need to get angry at those things that would make God angry. And one thing I always say is, you know, when damage is being done to God's earth, which he created very good, God would be upset and would be angry. And that should make us upset and angry. But it doesn't. For most of us, we do not get angry. Like, like, uh, like you know, smoking. I remember when I, actually one of my first international trip was to the UK way back in 1995. And during that time, the flight still had smoking and non-smoking sections. 
You know, it may be hard to believe today that you could actually smoke on a flight. But in 1995, my first overseas trip, I sat in the smoking section because I wanted a window seat and that was the only window seat process. I regret that decision to this day because I sat <laughs> next to this person who was smoking this Indian, um, you know, rolled uh, leaves called uh, Beauty. He was smoking that and it, it was awful. But now when you think of it, it's like, you know, if anyone smokes in your presence and you puff smokes in your face, you're offended, you are angry. How dare you? How dare you do that in front of children? How dare you do that? And we get angry with that. And if that angers us, then I think these things like damage the environment, just throwing things, misusing or overconsumption should get us angry. So that is another thing that I would, I, I would say. When we act today, we should be, ang we should be angry at, what, at the things that... Um, makes God angry and not angry when our entitlement is is challenged. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Um, it's obviously been a challenging time, not just in terms of COVID for you over there in India, but I guess you experience pollution and climate change probably more tangibly than both David and myself, and you probably experience probably more frustration um, when it comes to educating people on this issue. And I guess I just wonder... What gives you hope? How do you sustain hope and how do you keep going through times of trial like this? Yeah, <laughs> it, it does get frustrating, but not so much in India. You know, in India, we've done lots of creation care workshops about climate change and nobody debates climate change, especially in the circles where I've been. Of course, there are many, there would be deniers. But whenever we've gone and spoken to church leaders or youth and young people, uh, they would say, yes, it's real, it's happening. You know, there's no arguments about it. And what gives me hope is that, you know, many people, when, when we engage in, in this level and we talk about the fact that it's God's earth, it's God's world, and he's asking us, and he has asked us, our first mission mandate was to care for creation. And, you know, this is what God wants to do. You know, the, the story of Noah retold uh, in, in the proper way, not just a Sunday school theme. It's not just a Sunday school story. It kind of opens people's eyes and they're like, wow, why weren't we taught this before? Why didn't anyone tell us about this before? And so that excitement that is generated when you open the windows of people's minds, I think that gives me hope. You know, that gives me great hope. That it's not about debating whether, whether we should be involved in this or who's responsible. The fact that we, we see and perceive, uh, you know, uh, God and his teachings in this way, and it opens people's minds and hearts to, to acting in, in, in ways that will protect God's world more and going back to our first mission, that gives me hope. That, that, that you know, that really gives me hope. And I also think, you know, uh, and as I said, you know, the fact that change is possible gives me hope. The fact that I've seen so many people say, yes, no, I'm going to change my life or I'm going to make these little baby steps, they may be, but I'm going to take these baby steps. That gives me hope. It gives me hope that there are so many people talking about it. It gives me hope that Christians are willing to talk more and more about it. I think that that gives me hope. And what gives me hope is like this, uh, things like this new book, John's thought on creation care that is coming out that I'm so excited about because I read the manuscript, as I said, in the Justice Conference. <laughs> and I love this piece, which I'm going to read to you now. I'm just going to quote it from the book, uh, which says, it's possible for Christians to borrow the narrative of the secular movement and merely gloss it with a bit of God language. But there are some very significant differences between secular environmentalism and a, and a Christian approach to what we would call the care of creation. And it says this, 
Christians care for creation, not because they necessarily believe they're going to save the world or because that they believe that this is the flavor of the times, but simply out of their response to a loving God. So I think that's quite exciting that as Christians, you know, we, we, we can uh, take care of God's earth as part of our worship of God. And, you know, I also believe, and I, I was in meetings just the other day on a convening that the World Evangelical Alliance and the Lausanne Creation Care a Forum called. And, uh, you know, we were talking about, you know, we are not, none of us are environmentalists. And I don't want to call myself an, an environmentalist. And if you read this book of John Sod, which will come out soon, it's just that I am just a Christian. You and I are just Christians who are looking after the environment as a response to a loving creator, as an act of worship not because we are called to be environmentalists. So that gives me hope that there is such Christian literature and that gives me hope that there are so many Christians around the world who are excited about this, who believe this, that this is part of who we are as Christians and as our response uh, to this amazing God who created this world and whose world we live in. Cheers. Thank you so much for that cookie. That's really, that's really blessed me. Um, this morning, yeah, really, really blessed my heart and really, really encouraging to hear that. Um, yeah, I think the, the the joy that is in your heart uh, overflows so well, um, and I'm I feel like uh, I've been I've been I've been blessed by that um, this morning. So yeah, thank thank you so much for joining joining with us, and uh, Elise, thank you thank you for also joining joining from uh, from Australia. My pleasure, and thank you, Cookie. It's always it's always good. Yeah, yep. so thank you for listening to me. <laughs> I could listen to you for much longer. <laughs> I think I'm going to go back and listen to that Justice Conference session a few more times. <laughs> um, well, that's that's pretty much all we have time for on on this podcast episode. Um, do do please check out uh, Cookie's talk at the Justice Conference if you if you haven't done already. You can. Um, I believe you can still, you know, buy tickets to the conference, and which gives you access to um, content uh, that was that was shared a while ago. Uh, although I think that that time might be running out soon, so you might need to you might, might need to get in there quick. You can get um, tickets till June twenty second, and you can stream content until June thirty. Okay, there we go. Um, get get them while it's still relatively hot, as the, as they might say. <laughs> okay, thanks guys for joining us, and uh, till next time. See you later. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Renew Our World podcast. To learn more about the Renew Our World campaign or to hear about some of the work that our partners are doing, make sure you jump on over to our website at renewourworld.net. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a podcast episode again. Mm-hmm.